If you like Star Trek, you'll love Inglorious Trexperts, in which our Trexperts, Mark A. Altman and myself, Darren Doctorman, talk Trek every Saturday, wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman, and if you're a fan of Star Trek, check out my new sci-fi TV series, Pandora, debuting on The CW and around the world on July 9th, starring Priscilla Quintana and Oliver Dench, and you can find out more by downloading the Unboxing Pandora podcast, available weekly wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello and welcome to the 4.30 movie. It's 1989 week. Now, for those of you who aren't familiar with the 4.30 movie podcast, this is a podcast where we curate fantasy theme weeks uh, of classic movies every week, except when we're on a hiatus for the last, what, five months. But, it wasn't um, that long. But we are... <laughs> We are coming back, and if you have been listening to the show, you, you've listened to such weeks as Gangster Week, High School Movie Week, College Week, and the Shadow week. of Star Wars Week, Spielberg Week, Halloween Week, uh, Alien. Alien Week, thank you, Alien Invasion, Under the Sea Week, um, Sword and Sorcery Week, Close thank you. I'm glad this week. This is, this is good. Keep them coming. I don't remember. It's all a blur. So um, this week uh, is in 1989 week because, as some of you may recall, each year at Comic-Con, we pay tribute to a year celebrating its anniversary. And this year, we're paying tribute to 30 years ago, 1989. Wow. And as always, I'm here with our expert band of curators. Um, starting at the far left is the uh, writer for such shows as X-Men the Animated Series, Star Wars Rebels, and uh, Star Wars Resistance, Mr. Stephen Melching. Hello. That's loud. Joining him is a uh, writer for such movies as Thor and X-Men First Class. He's been a writer-producer in such shows as Black Sails, Terminator, The Sarah Connor Chronicles, and also a Fringe and Lore, Mr. Ashley Miller. Courage. <laughs> and a concept designer for such movies as Riddick, TV shows like Westworld Season 2, and the uh, visual effects supervisor for Star Trek The Motion Picture Director's Edition, not cut as we just learned, right. Mr. Darren Doctorman. <laughs> and I, of course, am uh, uh, Mark A. Altman. I'm uh, your host, Mr. Rourke. Welcome to <laughs> Fantasy Island. And... Uh, we are going to get into 1989 week. The way this works is we program each day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then we attempt to agree on what to program Friday on our fantasy network. So, uh, and running time doesn't matter because unlike the old 430 movie where they would cram everything into 90 minutes, in our world, movies can last as long as we want and they're Forever never... Forever and ever <laughs> and ever. And they're never panned and scanned. So, uh, Steve Melching... We're going to start you off on Monday. 1989 week begins. Yeah, I'm going to uh, go with a movie that actually was made in 1987 and was supposed to be released in 1988, uh, except the studio, uh, De Laurentiis Group, uh, went into bankruptcy and uh, was unable to release the film, so it was postponed into 1989. Hmm. Um, and it's a little movie that uh, it's a little movie that could. It spawned a sequel. It spawned video game, and uh, it spawned. Uh, it continues on to this day with a new film in production. And I'm talking about a movie that can be summed up with strange things are afoot at the Circle K. <laughs> 
talking about Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Whoa. Uh, a, just an absolutely charming time travel comedy. I'm sure everyone, sounds like most everyone here has seen it. Um, you've certainly heard of it. Um, it was a, a low-budget film. Um, it was Keanu Reeves, one of his first movie roles, although because the, the release was delayed, uh, he had appeared in some other films that were released first, but um, it, uh, it's just... It's just a delight. It t takes all the time travel tropes and has fun with them and just does some marvelously inventive things with time travel. Um, it's, a, it's a smart movie with stupid characters. Yes. Yeah, and it's funny, the De Laurentiis group, you, Dino had uh, infamously uh, done uh, King Kong for Paramount in 76. He'd done so many, so many movies. He finally got the money in the late 80s to start his own company. And it was kind of like disaster after disaster after disaster. You know, everything he put out was just failed. But then there are a couple of gems in there. Bill and Ted, of course, Blue Velvet uh, being the most notable of all of them. Uh, so They're basically the same film. Well, and, and, I mean, in Blue Velvet, he, he only made to get, uh, you know, as part of his deal with uh, Kyle MacLachlan to get him to do uh, Dune, which, mm -hmm. of course, he thought was going to be the big hit. And as we all know, it wasn't. Um, so, but uh, Bill and Ted's a great choice. I think it was name-checked recently in Avengers Endgame. It yes. stood the test of time. So, and uh, the, I mean, the sequel uh, is in production right now. The second amazing. sequel. Which is exciting, the second sequel. And yeah. I should say, on a personal note, I actually own Keanu Reeves' costume from the second film. What? So there you go. And it fit Whoa. me perfectly when I got it. It uh, doesn't quite fit now, but... Uh, really? I own, I own That's the... a story, interesting story. How did this come into your possession? <laughs> I was working for a kind of a shady company in the, uh, in the early 90s, and um, the, it was this company that, I don't know if you remember this, there, was, there were telephone games you could play. You would dial up an 800 number or a 900 number, and you would press buttons to like, go through the game, and uh, they, did, they were themed around movies. There was a Terminator game, and, and I think an Alien game or whatever, and they had, a, they had a bunch of prizes that were all these props and costumes from Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. And I was working for this dude, and he sent me over to Orion Pictures in Century City to pick up all the swag for the prizes to be shipped off to New York. And my boss said, yeah, if you see something you want, you can keep it. Oh. <laughs> so I drove my little beat-up Datsun B210 over to Orion Pictures and loaded up. Just all the costumes from Bill and Ted. I had George Carlin's costume. I had the hero guitars that I thought, like, I can't get away with keeping one of their guitars, a Wild Stallions guitar. Yeah, I bet you could. Yeah, I would have tried it. <laughs> and I thought, you know, I'm going to keep the dead. Not like it was Jimmy with... Page or something. I mean, you could have. <laughs> Who knows if these co this contest actually happened? I have no idea. But so anyway, I you have. Didn't dial the 1 900 number. Yeah. So, so I have the vest that had the big smiley face on the back of it that uh, Keanu wore in that. You should have yeah. worn that today. Like when we did the uh, time travel week, you wore the Marty McFly uh, Back to the Future outfit. <laughs> it's true. It's funny that you, uh, you mentioned Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure because uh, my route to San Diego from Los Angeles carried me through San Dimas. Whoa. <laughs> right? What's it like to grow up in San Dimas? I mean, that movie must just, like, haunt everything, right? Like, can you ever get to go to the Circle K in the same way that you did before that movie was released? I mean, do you ever look at a trash can in the same way? Um, filmed in Phoenix, but uh, so they didn't even get to actually see the filming locations in San Diego. Well, that's the unkindest cut of all. <laughs> um, no, I mean, that movie is so charming. It's so smart. I can't believe I just said that. George Carlin is 
a revelation in that movie. He's like the perfect mentor. It's like, if I could ever pick a mentor, it's either George Carlin or Mr. Miyagi. Like, one of the two. I want to see them team up, like a buddy cop movie. I just love the audaciousness of when they're trying to put their plan into motion. Or you mean bodaciousness? Bodaciousness. Bodacious. <laughs> they need a set of keys, and they're like, oh, well, just remember at the end to go back and to get the keys and go back in time and hide them behind the sign. Excellent. Like, oh, here they are. Oh, don't remember. Don't forget to do it. Like, well, we have them, so I guess I don't have to. <laughs> Genius. Oh, my God. Yeah, wow. I, I, I love it um, because it's, it's so refreshing to have these very likable characters um, doing things and reacting to things that you probably would react the same way, you know, given the same circumstances. And it's just so much fun. And, you know, uh, how about a Twinkie, Genghis Khan? I mean, you know, <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Uh, I, I got to see it when I was at, uh, uh, I was visiting USC, and they screened it, and uh, Steve Herrick, the director, was there. And um, I, I cornered him at the end, and I said, listen, man, this is, this is a, a, an amazing movie you did and you should be very proud and he said gee thanks I mean no one no one actually tells me that it's good <laughs> so oh, that's, it's just the that's director very of refreshing yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, it, it, I, I, I loved it and I still love it it's a lot of fun oh that's great it's a perfect after school movie to watch at 4.30 totally totally, totally. perfect 4.30 movie choice Excellent. to start the week um, it's no Bob Roberts, Steve, but, uh, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, so Darren Doctorman, Tuesday, yes. Tuesday, will it be another time travel movie? Perhaps? Will it be? I mean, you know, since we're going back to 1989, these are all time travel movies to us. <laughs> um, I'm going to uh, pick one that a lot of people forget about, but it was, it was really, uh, big and a surprise at the time. Um, it is, uh, Joe Johnston's first directorial oh, debut. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, the, when I saw this, I, I saw it when it first came out, and I was actually in uh, Wilmington, North Carolina, working on Exorcist 3. So I saw all of these movies in pretty much the same spot in Wilmington that summer. And it was so, um, I guess the word is refreshing, that it was... It was a sweet movie. It was a fun movie. It uh, it had characters that you like. It had uh, you know fantastical things that didn't seem stupid, and it had um, amazing visual effects because of course Joe Johnson was uh, uh, one of the pioneers at ILM, and uh, so he knew what he was doing. He knew how to get things to look good, and um, Rick Moranis is uh, wonderfully uh, uh, goofy and. Uh, all the kid actors are not terrible, which is a big feat. <laughs> and uh, I actually got to work on the sequel, Honey, I Blew Up the Kid, uh, a few years later. Um, but I think none of them were able to sort of get that that innocent spirit that the first movie had. Yeah, which it probably wouldn't have had if the original director had stayed with it. Remember? Right. The original it, director was Stuart Gordon, Stuart who Gordon. had done Reanimator. Oh, right. <laughs> and it didn't exactly seem like the perfect choice for a kid's film, but I think it was his concept originally. It was his, I, I think, uh, Brian Usna, I think. Mm. Uh, wow, also. what a combo. I, yeah. I didn't realize. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was going to be a completely different thing, and uh, I think it, it, we dodged a bullet there. <laughs> Well, it wouldn't have been a franchise, that's for sure. Well, that's for sure. But yeah, yeah. It might have been just a totally different kind of franchise. All together. Right. All together. <laughs> and it starred, you know, Rick Moranis, right? Uh -huh. at, um, who was, 
a pretty big comedy star at that point before he just he basically retired yeah. from yeah. film acting. Well, um, this is post Ghostbusters, and he yeah. was you know huge, obviously coming off his Canadian you know SCTV, uh, SCTV yeah. and Ghostbusters and stuff. And, and then yeah, he just left the business because I think his wife died, and he, he left to take care. Yeah, of Yeah, well, kids. That, that was after that point yeah. because he he uh, he did come back for the sequel in 1990 or 91, um, but. Uh, yeah, and, and uh, Matt Frewer, who played uh, uh, Max Headroom, uh, plays the next-door neighbor. And uh, it's, you know, the fun thing about it was it was the first time, I mean, we've seen, you know, the sort of giant effects before, you know, the giant blades of grass, giant dirt, giant rocks, things like that. This is the first time that I a they actually dealt with um, the liquid water being thicker when they were smaller. You know, they, there was just something about it that felt really real, and everything felt real, and nothing it was scientifically felt, accurate. Is what you're well, saying? <laughs> closer. I mean, you know, uh, but it, it just it just felt more accurate for some reason, and that's that's a you know it it, it didn't look like you know the uh, incredible shrinking woman. Or, oh, with, you know, Lily Tomlin, with Lily yeah. Tomlin, you know, with the giant phone that that has, was 1979 too. Was it? Yeah, Lily Holy Tomlin. Holy cow! Yeah, it's 40 years ago today. Oh my goodness! <laughs> um, but you know, it was, it was, uh, I really loved it, and it, it took me completely by surprise. I think it took a lot of people by surprise, and it did really, really well. Really I think well. in terms of cost to return, uh, that might have been, I mean, maybe Batman did better overall, but I think that one did immensely good business. Yeah, I'll tell you what, um, I find delightfully surprising about that film, I remember it very well, very fondly, is that, you know, it's, it's almost a trope in movies like this that, you know, you have the sort of the beleaguered father character and they go through the adventure because, um, you know, he needs to, you know, build this connection with his kids and all that. And it actually works so very well in this film. Like, you, you really feel like this is truly a movie about a family solving a problem mm -hmm. together um, and you know a father reconnecting with his children which I think is just great it's um, it there's not a moment in it that feels like it's working too hard uh, for that emotional connection and that emotional underpinning which is just makes the comedy that much better and makes it that much easier to enjoy all the special effects stuff which can very often overwhelm a movie like this. It's funny the only thing I remember about this movie was when California Adventure first opened mm -hmm. they had an attraction Honey I Shrunk the Audience. That's right. Yeah. It was like one of the first 4D Film. Yep. And I thought it was quite good. That I remember. It was, I remember yes. that better than I remember the movie. But uh, I, with that, that was that they, was. They fun. put it in. The, they put it in the Captain EO theater. That's uh, right. At one point. Oh, did they? Yeah. Disneyland, they, yeah. Yeah. They replaced Captain EO with that. Oh. You know what they replaced Captain EO with? They had the Star Wars Path of the Jedi leading up to Force Awakens, <laughs> oh, and man. it was it was actually fairly entertaining because uh -huh. it was on a super huge screen. So even the prequels kind of were interesting. Um, so. Darren Doctorman, your pick was Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Yes. Now, this is really interesting. 1989, big year for movies, big year. Um, we've had, you know, two smaller movies, Bill, Bill and Ted, of course, uh, still stands test time. Uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. I suspect this is going to be interesting because we're going to get to Ashley for Wednesday. Ashley is always the outlier. He always has some By the way, we, we, we don't know what anyone else is going to pick. No, no, we're right. Before the, we, we, start, don't we don't inspire. know what else is going to pick. There's no collusion. And I have a feeling 
just knowing Ashley the way I do, that he's going to go the other way this year. That, that instead be. of going with the weird cloak and dagger, you know, the bizarre thing, he probably is going to bring us back to the blockbusters. Because I know there's a film that he loved in 1989 uh, that I suspect he's going to choose. But I'm going to let him tell us what film we're showing on Wednesday. Ghostbusters 2. <laughs> Kidding. Um... <laughs> Okay, so 1989, I'm 18 years old, I'm a senior in high school. Um, I've got a favorite comic book character, spoiler alert. I have every single comic book ever published about this character and any related ancillary characters going back to 1980 flipping five, man, no joke. It occupies a wing in my house. To say I was excited is an understatement. The night that I was gonna go see this movie, opening night, um, man, I had to work. I worked in a bookstore in the mall, and my buddy was going to go, and, and I remember, you know, we closed out that cash register so fast, and we were $150 short. And we looked at each other, and we said, screw it, let's go see Batman. <laughs> yeah. So we did. Uh, Tim Burton's 1989 Batman, I think, took absolutely everybody by surprise. Now, I will tell you that it is not my favorite Tim Burton Batman movie. I happen to love Batman Returns. It's not my favorite Batman movie, period. That would be The Dark Knight. Um, but I absolutely adore Batman 89. There was never anything like it before. And quite frankly, even though um, it changed the way Hollywood thinks about comic book movies and superhero properties and the things that are it's possible to do with them, um, you can feel its presence in so many things. Whether you're talking about Alex Proyas's The Crow, or you're talking about Bilson and DeMeo's uh, Flash television show, which also had a Danny Elfman uh, theme song, and Shirley Walker did the score, Shirley Walker did the Batman, the animated series score, which obviously was hugely influenced by the 1989 Batman. Um, you simply can't get away from it. Um, I think that I, like most people, was very surprised that Beetlejuice became a very credible Batman, and, and for my money, remains like, you know, it, between him and Christian Bale, like the two best Batman in the history of any of the franchise. That, that casting was super controversial in its day. It was the subject of endless articles in, in fan magazines. Just think yeah, Mr. What would Mom have happened. is not Batman. Just think what would have happened if the internet had existed. Yes. <laughs> oh, good Lord. It's like, you should cast Harrison Ford as Batman. Okay, actually, that might have been kind of <laughs> cool. But no, Michael Keaton is so great in that movie. He is so insane. My favorite scene is actually not a scene with Batman, but Bruce Wayne. Uh, when Bruce Wayne and the Joker meet in Vicki Vale's apartment. You know, the, you know, you want to get nuts? Let's get nuts. Like, that scene is absolutely fantastic. It's feral. It's cool. Um, and I will tell you this much. So apparently, and I didn't know this, um, in 1989 when this movie was released, it was the, I think the only major motion picture ever delivered to theaters more wet than Batman 89 was Star Trek, the motion picture, mm -hmm. uh, 10 years earlier. Um, the sound was essentially temp. Um, they used a lot of library sounds, not a lot of original stuff. The mix wasn't great, and you can tell, right? You watch that movie, if you go back and you get an, an earlier uh, edition of this film and you listen to it, right, it'll sound very stagey. The sound won't have a lot of dimension. It'll, it just 
plays a little weird. So for the 4K release that just came out, Tim Burton went back, redid the sound mix, and let me, and he did new sounds for like gunshots, for all kinds of things, and it makes such a difference. It opens up that movie. As, Big as the visual imagination is on that film, what Tim Burton does with the sound in that movie now opens it up even further uh, and just makes it feel like the big opera uh, that it really wants to be. Also, the 4K transfer is unbelievably beautiful. I can't say enough things about this movie and why I love it, so I'm going to shut up and let somebody else say something about it. Yeah, I'm not surprised you picked that. I know you have a lot of love for that movie. I'm not a huge fan. Uh, I have to say that for me, you know, it was it was the beginning of sort of the marketing over the movies. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it was it was you know, we talked about Star Trek: The Motion Picture with the Happy Meals. Forget that. Right. I mean, this was all about marketing. Yeah. The movie was like secondary, and uh, there were T-shirts. There was a Prince album. You know, we've been doing this every year at Comic Con, 30 years since 1982, and that went really well. And then we did 1983. 1989 for me is kind of the swan song for the great years of movies. It's like I think we'd have we'd be really hard pressed. It's going the dividing forward. point. Yeah. It's really like a key year because I think once you get to 90, uh, I think it gets, you know, there's a law of diminishing returns. Um, I think that... Uh, it's sort of the first year of the realization of the corporatization of Hollywood. I, I, I completely agree. So I think 1980 years is sort of a really um, um, benchmark uh, year and not, not necessarily in a good way. And, and Batman, Batman sort of epitomizes all that. Uh, it's really, I'm really glad you brought up the 4K, but it's true, they were using library sound, and you know, you watch that original trailer for Batman, I mean, it, it's awful. Yep. Um, but, you know, um, it's strange. Well, you know, I mean, the marketing was, was huge for this movie. I mean, there were giant billboards on Westwood Boulevard and everything, but there really was an incredible groundswell of support and anticipation for this movie. Huge. And I remember seeing it opening night at the Chinese Theater, and they had a spotlight on the screen, and when the curtains parted, we could see there was a bat symbol, and the audience lost its mind. They jumped to their feet cheering. The movie starts, and it's all those kind of abstract images uh, and the, the, the Danny Elfman score, and it builds and builds and builds, and finally it kind of rotates into view, and you see it's the, the bat symbol. And again, the audience just jumped to its feet, screaming. The electricity in that room was incredible. I, it's one of the... I've rarely ever experienced anything like that in the movie my entire life, the, the energy in that theater. That movie made... Okay, so here's how you kind of begin to gauge what happened after 1989. 1989, opening weekend, Batman 89 makes something like $42 million. It was the biggest opening weekend of all time by a long shot. It made over $250 million in its opening run uh, domestically, which was an enormous 30 number. years ago it made that. 30 years ago, right? And that is the thing that I think everybody has been chasing. That's when ever $200 since. million dollars used to buy something. That's right, like Waterworld. Um, you know, it, it's funny, a lot of happy girls, right? It, it, it's, um, it's interesting because for, I guess I have more of an emotional attachment to Batman as a character than Superman. So when I saw Superman, I just freaking love Superman, obviously. Mm -hmm. It's brilliant. Um, 
you know, Batman, I actually read the comics. I was really into Batman as a character. You know, I loved the uh, Adam West series. You know, so, and, and this, you know, when it, when it, it when you starts with retconning the Joker that he's the one who killed, you know, Mar- Martha Wayne and, 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 and uh, the, you know, the dad and everything. I just, I, you know, it just, it's, it's very static. You know, you either love the Anton first world of it or not. Uh, but, you know, it's very set bound. I mean, I think even Chris Nolan got away from that where the first mm-hmm. movie, it was kind of like, very production design, and then it became Chicago, right, and that exactly. seemed to work much better for it because Batman is so grounded and real. That, well, a lot That's, of that was about the was about shooting in IMAX. Um, that yeah, no, not for sure. Necessarily though, uh, the, this goes back to one of the reasons why I really dislike Batman '89. Okay, it's because of the production design. Mm. When you have Gotham City being this huge, creepy, monstrous thing. Batman isn't scary. Batman's just a part of this. And therefore, you know, it loses all the meaning of this strange, creepy creature that comes out of the sky and takes away criminals. And I think the whole sort of concept of, of that is just over-designed and it, it ruins the concept to me. See, I love it. And... I compare it that well, no, and it's it's totally fair that it's like that it's that it's not your cup of tea, man. And I think you make it actually an excellent point. Um, I compare it to the the, uh, the the production design in Batman Forever um, and Batman and Robin, where especially Batman Forever, where Joel Schumacher was we like trying to, call to it replicate Batman that, Fever, yeah, Batman <laughs> Fever, uh, where it simply doesn't work at all. Like there was such a specificity to that production design that it like only Batman could have gotten away with it and again so many movies tried to ape that mm-hmm. um, you know Burton himself even changed up that production design completely like Gotham City is two different cities between right. Batman 89 and Absolutely. Batman Returns Absolutely. and, no, and as the further that run goes the more outlandish the you know there were these like you know 80 story high statues well in Gotham the, City. the Schumacher movies are I think consciously trying to do the 60s series yes. as a movie and on that scale, I understand it. But I think they were selling them as something else. And that's why they don't work in our mind. Yeah. Um, but I think everyone's saying that the, the, the Burton movie is dark and mysterious. No, it's not. It's just as goofy as the rest of them. And that, that's the big lie, is that you know, this is the first serious interpretation of Batman. It's not serious at all when you have Jack Nichol- Nicholson going around um, aping uh, uh, you know, <laughs> well, not even. He's just he's just so, sort of chewing scenery everywhere with his gigantic mouth. Um, but you also can't you you cannot take your eyes off of what he is doing with that. Like, we just hadn't seen anything like that. No, like, that's um, true. And you know, villains that followed. My God, how many movies? I mean, it's as many times as Paramount has tried to replicate Khan in a Star Trek movie. How many films? Um, did somebody try to replicate uh, who Jack Nicholson played as the yeah. Joker in Batman 89 until, weirdly enough, Heath Ledger came along and like, actually played the Joker in a Batman movie and right. kind of changed everything again. Right. Yeah, he wasn't trying to play an icon. He was just trying to play a character, and that's yeah. why right. Heath Ledger was so effective. Well, you know, before we get to Thursday, you know, I want to point out um, 
that we do have a rule on this show, which is if something was nominated or, or played in another week, we don't repeat it. So there are a couple of great movies that we're not going to talk about. Glory was uh, during War Week, I believe. Was it for War Week? I, mm-hmm. I believe so. Yeah, uh, Glory was... Uh, I think I actually, Broderick I actually that, did yeah, that, for yeah. Tuesday. Um, also for Under the Sea Week, The Abyss... Uh, was picked for the Under the Sea Week. So also The Abyss Open this year is a film that Darren worked on, has great stories about. Um, None of which you'll hear this afternoon. Oh, you aren't going to talk about how Ed Harris picked you up in this... The I'm not going to say the same story again. People are bored with it. We don't repeat stories either on the podcast, <laughs> so you have to go back and listen Suffice to all the Suffice it to say, it was one of the greatest 16 months of my life. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I mean, it's funny because there are obviously so many big movies from 1999 we haven't uh, mentioned yet. Um, I was going to... I thought about screwing with you and, and saying uh, Thursday, Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, but uh, I, I don't think I could get through that with a straight face. Um, and in fact, we, we actually talk about Star Trek V with great reverence um, at WonderCon. It's on our sister mm-hmm. series, Inglorious Trexperts, where we, I think, do justice. We have David Lowry, the screenwriter, and I think it's a really fascinating listen. So if you're interested in Star Trek V, you should listen to that episode of... Um, uh, also, I must say that as great as that conversation was, one of our lowest-rated <laughs> episodes of Inglorious oh Trexperts. Um, World isn't fair. You can't win with Star Trek V, apparently. Um, but I thought that was fascinating. So, so okay. what is your selection, though? Choose the four. That's my question. Okay, well, you know, look. Um, for Thursday. Uh, for, th- for Thursday, yes, for Thursday. And I'm not going to go through a list. There, there, there are a just number. just went through. I want to. There are, number, <laughs> there are a number of films. You know you want to. I, I so want to. I so want to because, you know, of course, you had uh, Steven Soderbergh's uh, Six Lives and Videotape, which kicked off um, the, the, the decade of great independent movie making. I almost picked that one, actually. I, I'm, I'm, I was so close to picking that James Spader and Alora Giacomo and, and, and just really brilliant. Um, but I'm not going to pick it. I am going to pick, and I, I thought really long and hard... <laughs> You know, I, I remember going to see She's Gotta Have It and thinking, oh, Spike Lee is what a great filmmaker. And, and, and of course, Do the Right Thing came out in 89. It's such a great film. Uh, and, and, and I thought, oh, should I go with that? Uh, and I'm like, no. And He's it, not making a list. And I'm going through it. No, I'm going through the list. I'm going through the list. You know, and if it had to be great lines of 1989, then I'd go to Lethal Weapon 2 because, of course, diplomatic immunity, one of the great lines. And Just Mel Gibson pulling the house off the mountain. He's but making a list. But it's not, He's totally <laughs> making a list. But it's, it's not Lethal Weapon 2 because, let's face it, that's not a great movie. Um, so I'm going to go. I'm going to go with, uh, and I, this is my pick. This is my pick. Are you ready? Are you ready? Okay. Uh, I, you, you know, so it's crimes and misdemeanors. Woody Allen's okay. brilliant, brilliant. Um, Surprising, movie. no one. It came on the heels of Hannah and her sisters. Um, I mean, this is the, the decade of just pure genius. Husbands and wives was yet to come. But in crimes and misdemeanors, uh, Commander Koenig from Space 1999. Are you sure uh, you didn't pick this in a previous episode? No, I never picked. No, I never picked I crimes think and misdemeanors. No, Somebody check. I never picked crimes and misdemeanors. No. I picked Midnight in Paris. I never picked Crimes and Misdemeanors. Anyway, I'm talking about Space 1999. Did you get that new Shout Factory set? No, because I have all the episodes. But it's great. Of course it's it is. It's great. And you know, oh my God. And, and Sylvia Anderson goes on and on about how difficult Martin Landau and Barbara Bain were to work with. and how she. I'm sure know. she was wonderful to work for. 
It's a it's a great uh, great set. Shout Factory well, selling I it. I highly it. recommend it. But anyway, Crimes Misdemeanor. Martin Landau is brilliant. He didn't get an Oscar for it. Uh, he should have. He got it a couple years later for Ed Wood. Uh, I remember going up to the Saturn Awards and saying, "God, you should have gotten an Oscar for Crimes and Misdemeanors." He said, "Yeah, at least I got one for Ed Wood." So that was good. <laughs> uh, the, you know, the, the the thing about Crimes and Misdemeanors, it tells two completely different stories that you think are never going to come together. You know, the whole and yet they do. And yet they do, like, like, like Reese's Peanut Butter Cup. You get the chocolate, you get the peanut butter, and it all comes together in a delicious mix. You get the crime, because you get you the get, misdemeanor. You get, they <laughs> come you know, together. You have the Woody Allen and, and, and Mia Farrow story that comes together with uh, you know, the Angelica Houston uh, story. And, but w- the real, uh, the great thing about this movie, so memorable, Alan Alda. Alan mm-hmm. Alda as this uh, TV producer, this narcissist, and uh, you know, Woody Allen's making a documentary about him, and at the end he intercuts this footage of Mussolini with Alan Alda. It is laugh out loud funny, but it's such a schizophrenic film in a good way. Because if it one bends. Point, it's so serious and so meaningful and so philosophical, and the other story is just hysterical. You know, it's just a, a comedy. So it was just a brilliant, brilliant movie, and so that would be my pick for Thursday, Crimes and Misdemeanors. All right. Yeah, so... No, I did not pick crimes and misdemeanors. I'm telling you, I know what I picked. I never talked about Alan Alda on the show. So, Mark, yes, I'm gonna admit something now, and I You've want never you to seen do it. Batman. No, I have. I just know everything about. It. I'm like my kid. Um, no, and I and I want you to continue to be my friend, but. I saw Woody Allen movies at a time in my life when I think I wasn't really prepared for Woody Allen movies. So I didn't love Crimes and Misdemeanors, but the thing is, I want to watch it, but what I want to ask you first is... You know, Batman's really a piece of shit. I held back. There you go. (laughs) What I want to ask you is, if I were to go back and re-experience the Woody Allen oeuvre, would I begin with crimes and misdemeanors, or what would you have me begin? What would you have anybody begin? I would, with? I would, I would start. I would, I would start with um, take the money and run, and then watch every. No, I would. I would start with. Uh, I would <laughs> like start with I would Manhattan start with Hall. I'd Manhattan, okay. Manhattan Hall. Manhattan. Uh, you know, Love and Death. You know, okay. uh, uh, Bananas. Um, Hannah Sisters. Those See, are I'm the one that's. I'm not a fan of his earlier funny work. I like, you know, I like, uh, you know, uh, oh gosh, his Hannah, 80s Zelig and Hannah Sisters is my yeah. favorite. Um, yeah, I mean, Husbands and Wives is genius. I mean, the, you know, Sidney Pollack is, is great in that. Let's say Anthony. But anyway, that, enough about that. This is not, we're doing a panel about 1989. And we haven't even talked about some really huge films. Here's now, the list. Now, here's another sequel that. I know none of us like, and, and everyone loves. Yeah. Uh-huh. So I want to I want to talk about this, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. People love this movie, and we I, I know are not particularly huge fans. Yeah. Can, I don't. After um, Crystal Skull, I love it. Yeah. It's Raiders compared to Crystal Skull. <laughs> it's the thing is, it's it's not a bad movie. It's just not a good movie. It, and there's a there's a big difference. I love Sean Connery in it, yeah. And of course, I love Harrison Ford in it. It's just too shticky and self-aware. It's just goofy, goofy things happen, and it's a little. It's too on the nose. It has some great moments. It has great yeah. moments, yeah. like they, when he stumbles moments. into frame, like looking at himself, thinking his, you know, Sean Connery is like thinking that he's dead, and then Harrison Ford stumbles into frame. That's a great Prob- little moment. But it's probably the worst Spielberg directed scene ever. Oh, one hundred percent. But it's like, but I remember it. You know what I'm of saying? Of course, yeah. of course. An awful matte work, awful visual effects. Um, and it just looks but, cheap. 
Yeah. It looks yeah. cheap. It looks cheap. It does. But yet there's so many great I mean, Allison Duty is fun in it. Um, you know, the Doody. Nazi. Um, uh, <laughs> the aptly I knew name. you were going to say it. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, it, and, and, and look, take it or leave it. That opening sequence, I know some people don't like it. The transition from River Phoenix to, you know, it, I think is, it, is really fun. I think it's fun. Yeah. I like but the transition. I, I just don't like the it's sequence un, It's unfortunate it. yeah. that all of the... Uh, you know, recognizable characteristics of the character Indiana Jones happened in like five minutes. Right. Yeah, no, when he was a Boy Scout. Obviously, it's a cheat and it's silly, yeah. but for what it is, it's 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 cute. Um, let's talk about a couple other movies, and I want to open it up to the audience, and then right. we can decide what Friday is. I mean, obviously, uh, the Disney Renaissance began with The Little Mermaid that year. That was a key year for Disney. It was the rebirth of the uh, Disney animation. It was yep. a huge. People forget. This is the time of the Black Cauldron. This is the time, you know, Oliver and Company, when Disney was for all... I mean, you look at Disney now. I mean, Disney was... They were on the, the they last were legs. Yeah. They, yeah, if it wasn't for the theme parks and the real estate, they were finished. Yep. Um, it's amazing. And Little Mermaid was the beginning of the renaissance that turned it into what it is today. In, um, in 30 years, they took over Hollywood. Yeah, even now, time travelers from Warner Brothers are going back to 1988 to disrupt the release of uh, The Little Mermaid in 1989. <laughs> um, we've talked about uh, uh, this on the show before, Back to the Future 2. Um, that, that, again, uh, we're somewhat of mixed minds. Some of you guys yeah. love it. I'm a big fan of Me Back too. to the Future 2. I really like it. Me less so. Uh, it's better than 3. It's That's better true. than The Last Crusade. No, it's better. <laughs> it is. But, um, but, you know, uh, Back to the Future 2, uh, brilliant in terms of, you know, just Zemeckis' uh, mastery of the medium. Uh, oh, yeah. I, I think, you know, part of what I don't like about it was just how dark it went because, you know, for me, Back to the Future, that wasn't the franchise. Um, you know, also it was very prescient in terms of anticipating Trump, as we know. But it was, uh, it, it's just a, um, it, it's just a very dark and, and, and movie. And, and I hated to see uh, what happened to Marty McFly. So I think I responded to that rather than the craftsmanship. The craftsmanship right. is exceptional. Absolutely. Um, I think it's just the tone that it's I don't just love. so cleverly written and constructed, the, the way yeah. it deconstructs time. No, no question. Uh, Field of Dreams. Yeah. Obviously, I, Phil I Alden love Field of Dreams. Is yeah. Brilliant. Um, if you build it, they will, they will come. Uh, great, great movie. Um, uh, you know, Dead Poets Society. Mm -hmm. It was a wonder, yeah. wonderful film that year. Um, and the little film, Phil Noyce, uh, Dead Calm with Nicole Kidman mm -hmm. and Sam right. Neill is a great little thriller. Um, Tom Cruise and Born on the Fourth, Born the Fourth of July. Uh, that, mm. that was a really interesting mm. film. Mm. Um, no, yeah, I would say that when you go like that, Casualties of War, the Brian De Palma, it's like, That's oh, wacky. Talk about overbaked and overheated. And, you know, and, and Michael J. Fox at perhaps his worst. Oh, for sure. The yeah. worst Michael J. Fox ever. in his worst performance. <laughs> <laughs> and when we're talking about awful sequels, I would be remiss if I didn't mention uh, the movie that almost killed the Bond franchise, yeah. License to Kill. License to Kill. Uh -huh. Well, everyone's I, entitled. Um, Timothy Dalton's second and last uh, uh, Bond movie, uh, a glorified Miami Vice episode. You know, I don't, I don't mind it. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a fan. It looks cheap. Talk about awful I love him in it. We've but, had that, that conversation. I mean, I love Timothy Dalton in it. I yeah, Timothy Dalton's movie. great. I mean, takes yeah. it seriously. I mean, he, 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 you know, he could have been a very interesting James Bond. Um, and I still love it, Carrie Lowell. It, you know, oh, I think yeah, the biggest sure. problem, yeah, I do too, is, is uh, unfortunately um, John Glenn by then was sort of long in the tooth as the director. The director, you not know. the... Not yeah, the, not the, not not the, the astronaut. Although the <laughs> awesome that the astronaut directed that movie. Uh, <laughs> 
But uh, John Glenn, the director, you know, brought no style to it. And, um, you know, Robert Davi's doing everything he can. It's just a uh, pastiche. He's a, yeah, he's a scenery chewer, too. Wayne Newton, I thought, I know he was terrible, but... Yeah. And, and, and it's probably like five different things going, five different plots going in on that. There, there's the Chinese, and there's one scene with that, and then it's the first time that Bond quits the Secret Service. And they, you know, as in any bad Bond movie, there's always a couple of great scenes, and there are a couple of great scenes in yep. Living Daylights. But to me, it doesn't doesn't completely hold together. You have the fabulous Baker Boys, Michelle Pfeiffer, Jeff Bridges. Great. You said Living Daylights. You you meant did I say Living Daylights? Yeah, I, I meant License to Kill. Kill. I'm sorry, I meant License yeah. to Kill. Um, uh, Fabius Baker Boys is a great movie. It is. It is a great movie. Uh, it's no Roadhouse. Roadhouse. <laughs> yeah, Roadhouse. Man, Sam Elliott. Come on. Who does, you know, Sam Elliott, George Carlin, Mr. Miyagi. <laughs> Those are my mentors. Well, they're all rolled up into one, and you have Patrick Swayze in Roadhouse. Damn right. <laughs> Roadhouse, obviously. Choice A, my way. Choice B, highway. <laughs> yeah. There you go. <laughs> Um, yeah, you have uh, another dreadful sequel, Fly 2, after David Cronenberg. Oh, yeah. Oh, Eric's still Eric showing Stoltz. us why he should have been Marty McFly. Oh, no. <laughs> no. I mean, you know, after Cronenberg, you have Chris Wallace, this special. Wallace, yes. Wallace come and direct um, ill-conceived in oh so many ways. It's, it's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah, um, Weird Al Yankovic in UHF. UHF. Oh my goodness! Oh my God! You want a drink from the fire hose? I love that movie. Steve Martin in Parenthood. <coughs> mm-hmm. Spawn Spawn two TV series, and of course Ellen Barkin in Sea of Love, another really uh, wow. interesting with Al Pacino. And of course, it was the year of great team ups. You either had Tango and Cash or Turner and Hooch. Take the pick. <laughs> so. Was, and we had we had Major League, the baseball movie. Major oh, League. I love right. Major yeah, League. Yeah, Major League is really good. I think we've had that in our uh, previous when episode. we did, did we baseball. We did, no, we did, we sports, did movie sports movie week. We did sports movie, movie week. Yeah. I think may, I, yeah. I might have mentioned Major League. Yeah, and did. Field of Dreams might have been on sports movie. Yeah, week. definitely. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's open it up to you guys. What do you think for Friday? You've heard some. You may have your own. Um, Somebody's going to make a passionate case for Last Crusade. But there's a microphone, microphone right there. Right we have a few there. minutes left. Let's Where see. it stands. So we can uh, pick uh, our Friday. Waiting. Our Friday pick. Oh, my God. Nobody is willing to take the heat. Look no. at this. <laughs> oh, uh, no, no. Here. Oh, here they come. Here, 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 here let's, let's see. <laughs> Go Joe the distance. The volcano came Mildred Pierce, there. what? I, I Joe versus the volcano. Oh, oh yeah. Interesting. John Patrick Shanley, the, the very interesting choice. That is, that is my favorite movie of all time. I've seen it so many times. Tom Hanks. I, Look. Ha- I have it on DVD twice. I had it on VHS, and I worked at the movie theater that played it. So. I know he can get the job, but can he do the job? <laughs> but you didn't That's have it on Laserdisc. You. I just... <laughs> I just love that he was suffering from a malady called brain cloud. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like me. That's a, that's, a, that's a great pick, by the way, uh, and uh, written by a great playwright and a very polarizing film, but a very was interesting Was that John choice. Patrick Shanley? Yes. Yeah. yeah, John Patrick Shanley, who did Moonstruck. Yeah. So uh, a film by another great uh, playwright, uh, William Shakespeare, Henry V. With, with, oh, uh, yes, 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 yes. Excellent. Now, the problem with that choice, which is a brilliant choice, is we... 
did Henry V in the Ides of March week, where we did great right. Shakespeare movies, and it, it, it was nominated for, I think, Monday. I no, think. it was Ashley's. Oh, it was Ashley's Ashley picture. Right. It was Thursday. It was a normal Thursday for a change. Henry, Henry, and he told this really moving story of working with Kenneth Branagh on Thor. So if you haven't heard Ides Go of, back and listen to the Go back to the Ides episode. of March week, because it's a great episode, and his story about Henry V is just fantastic, but he's not going to tell it now. <laughs> I'm not. Yeah, real quick, just as an aside, you talked about uh, uh, Michael Keaton in Batman. In Comic-Con 1988, back in Golden Hall, Bob Kane showed up, and he was selling Michael Keaton to the audience. He actually had some slides up, and he, he had Bob Keaton, or, uh, Michael Keaton's uh, face, and then he drove on it the Batman mask. And he was trying to convince oh. the audience it was a great choice. That's and awesome. it was a great choice. To be fair, I think no matter who it was, Bob Kane would have done that. Would have drawn Batman on that. <laughs> <laughs> for Sammy Davis Jr. I'm so used to Ashley veering left, I'm surprised you didn't pick Roadhouse. I would have bet the farm on that. I love Roadhouse, man. I just saw it two weeks ago for the first time ever. And I thought of you. I was like, oh, this is Ashley's pick. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? That is such an Ashley pick. If, if, if it were not for Batman 89, Roadhouse. For sure. Well, you already mentioned it. Kind of says it all. My other pick would be oh, Black Rain. Black Rain. Oh, yeah, Black Rain. Black Rain. Black Black Rain. Too. Oh, that's Chocolate Rain. Ridley Scott turning Japan into Blade Runner. Hell yeah. I mean, it, it, you know, Sean Connery in one, you know, one of his later great roles. Poor Michael Douglas, Michael Douglas almost choking to death from all the smoke everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> You'd think Tokyo was like on the moors or something. It was just always smoke. Turn it into Smokio. But it, 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 it's like a science fiction movie that's not a science fiction right. movie, Black Rain. But what a, what a fun, fun Ridley Scott movie. Yeah. <laughs> I've got one for you, filmed in my backyard, Atlanta, Georgia. That's Driving Miss Daisy. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Yes. Driving Miss Daisy. You know, it's funny. I love that movie, but I, I had seen the play, and I loved mm. the it, Same thing I had with Amadeus when you picked Amadeus. I'd seen it on Broadway, and I liked the play better than the movie. So it's the same thing with Driving Miss Daisy. I really like the play better than the movie, but the movie is quite quite good and of course it was great Morgan Freeman's great and uh, that was the best picture winner that year and it won the best picture not sure that was but Driving Miss Daisy Jessica Tandy and Jessica Tandy is just great as she was in everything yeah. even Cocoon 2 The Return even batteries uh, not included we, uh, we love your shirt by the way thank you yeah is that some sports movie <laughs> I, I, just want, is I just want to remind you there is no sanctuary um, spoiler alert uh, okay Okay, so if you were working for KCET Channel 39, UHF Channel in San Diego, programming the 430 movie, and you didn't put a Indiana Jones movie on on Friday afternoon, they'd fire you. <laughs> because you would pull on the ratings more than any of the other movies you mentioned for an Indiana Jones movie. And it is a really good movie. The pendulum swung from kind of fun to really serious to, okay, a little too much fun, but it's still a really good movie and would really pull in the ratings. The first part of your argument was yeah. incredibly... Compelling. The second part of your argument was less so. <laughs> it, is, it is a good argument, though. It's a very cogent argument, well-reasoned. And I think it's something we have to take into consideration as we start to wrap up. Uh, so let's yes, Leela. Oh, I think this is a great 430 movie, um, Uncle Buck. Uncle, Uncle Buck. Buck. Yeah. John Candy. Oh, I love John Candy Buck, so much. I like to... Oh, wait, that's Kill Bill. Never mind. Well, uh, clearly an audience favorite. And who doesn't love John Candy? I love John so, Candy. So, uh, good... Oh, yeah. When you're right, you're right. When you're right, yeah, exactly. Um, regarding Batman and, and the casting of Michael Keaton, I, I think I had read that he, he was selected because his eyebrows, if you notice, looks just like Matt Jack Nicholson's, how they're arched. So they both kind of like have the yin and yang going. 
Hmm. But anyways, um, Bob I'm Kane just, didn't like that either. <laughs> yeah. Well, he can always draw them, you know, the same. But um, yeah, I I really like Lethal Weapon too, and it was written the same screenwriter wrote. Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Jeffrey Bone, yeah. who unfortunately yeah. died in early death. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought, you know, Indiana Jones really did well in terms of dealing with a the father-son theme. And yeah, it was hokey and all, but it was, it was satisfying. And, um, Jeffrey Bone was the, the uh, Simon Kinberg of the late 80s. I mean, yes, ooh, he was. Lost Boys and uh, yeah. Lethal Weapon 2 and, and Dead Zone, I think. And just, he, was, he was great. I think he would have done... Uh, he, he would have done a much better job than Simon Kimber. I mean, he wouldn't have had a dark Phoenix. Yeah, I think we can all agree about that. Right. Jeffrey uh, Bohm's Dark Phoenix. Uh, but, you know... Um, so we got to make we gotta a decision. Make, well, we got to get uh, out of here. There um, were a couple of huge films we kind of passed over. Oh, Steve, Ghost, please, Ghostbusters 2. Well, I didn't care No, we, for we it. didn't pass over that. We ignored it. Yeah. When, when Harry Met Sally. Yes. Oh, when my Harry goodness. Met Sally, brilliant. And, and one of my favorite movies of the Say year. Say Anything. Say Anything. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Terry Gilliam's The Adventures of Baron Munchausen. Oh, my, oh my God. Goodness. How did we miss all these great movies? Wow. So great. So great. Man. Do we have a consensus? No. Not remotely, do we? Uh, I, I, I think it just has to be Uncle Buck then. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I, I, think, I, think we, I think we have to go to Twitter for this and put up Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade, Uncle Buck, two other films. Say Anything. Uh, uh, say Anything. Say anything. And, uh, and uh, None of the Above. And Roadhouse. And Roadhouse. Roadhouse. Yeah, I think we're going to go on Twitter, 430 Movie Pod, 430 Movie Pod. We will put it up and people can vote. We'll keep the voting open for, you know, a week or so. And, 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 and that will decide the uh, winner. And then we'll air, uh, we'll do an addition to this that will announce it on the podcast when we come back uh, in September with all new episodes, right? Does all that sound new? fair? Yeah, so, sounds, sounds totally fair. Yeah, so this will kick it's off the only our... way to be sure. Our, <laughs> our all new... <laughs> Take off, nuke We'll nuke them from, from orbit. orbit. Um, so, Steve, your pick for Monday... Uh, it was, oh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Tuesday? Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Wednesday? Batman. Thursday, Crimes and Misdemeanors. And Friday? To be Who decided. knows? To be continued. So <laughs> thank you. We'll see you for Starship Smackdown Sunday night. You can visit us online at 430 Movie Pod. Thank and, you. And uh, we'll see you soon. So thank you very much. Thank you. This podcast is a production of the Electric Surge Network.